Man, the youth are the, aren't just the future of the church, but they are the church. Amen? Amen. So today we're going to read our passage of scripture for today. You guys can go ahead and use that mic over there. This is Charlie Stearns and Hudson Allstadt. They are going to read our Bible passage. So if you would, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 25. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by, the, passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, and when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where, he, where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the wall replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I have Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Let's give them, let's give them a hand. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you for this church here in Greenville, Illinois, Lord, who has been faithful from generation to generation of entrusting the gospel to young people. Lord, we thank you for your word and how it's true for us. May, may I get out of the way and allow your spirit to speak in and through me. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And all God's people said, amen. Man, I love this. The youth are not just the future of the church, but they are the church. Man, it's so cool to see different students handing out communion, uh, speaking on stage, um, worshiping, doing a dance, those types of things. I'm not a very good dancer, so I'm glad that um, I wasn't the one doing the, the praise dance. But man, it is a beautiful thing to be a part of. And I have a passion for the next generation and not only have I seen this in students as the short amount of time that I've been with them, students change all the time. But there's three things, three questions that students are always asking, and, and not only just students, but really us as people as well. The first question is, who am I? It's this idea or this question of identity. And the truth is, and it's not just for students today, but the truth is that you are created in God's image. 
that you're handcrafted for purposes for God's glory. And the second question students are always asking is, where do I belong? The other truth is that you belong here in the church, a part of the body of Christ, and it's through Christ's blood that that is made possible. And thirdly, what is my purpose? The truth is you have gifts and abilities that no one else in this room has, and you can only reach certain people for the gospel that other, other of us cannot. The truth is you need to know today, and students need to know, that you're valued, you're accepted, and you're empowered. Not only is this what they want, it's actually what they need. Baylor did a great job this morning reading the Shema. This is a text that is the greatest commandment, so to speak. It sums up all the laws and the prophets, but it talks about passing on this truth to children. And so what I want you guys to think about is I actually want you to practice this right now. I want you to look around the room and fix your eyes on someone who's younger than you. Okay, go ahead and do that. Fix your eyes on someone who's younger than you. And what I want you to realize is that that person is a person that you can be a spiritual mother to. That person is a person you can be a spiritual father to or a spiritual brother or a spiritual sister, right? It's the beauty of being united under the lordship of Jesus Christ. God's word says that we are co-heirs or co-sufferers with Christ and that you are a part of his family right now. All right, this is a truth that Moses passed on to generations. We know all throughout the Old Testament that God is a God of generations, right? He's a God who's faithful up to this point. He's, and time and time again, he's always been faithful. He's always followed through with his promises. He's a God of generations, meaning his kingdom is for all people, all ages. He says this to Moses, a young leader about to take on this job that's really hard, leading these people. He says, this is who I am. I am who I am, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. This is my name and the name you shall call me from generation to generation. He's a God of generations. He guided and protected Israel throughout history. And here we see Moses passing on this truth to the next generation and knowing that he wasn't going to be the one to enter into the promised land. Instead of being bitter about it, he looks to this young man named Joshua and he says, here, I am not going to experience a promised land, but here's this life-giving truth to love God and love people. Take that and lead well. Moses empowers him. So how do we become like Moses in this? This is the question we're going to wrestle with today. So if you're note takers, write this down. It's going to be on the screens for you. How do we empower young people to carry on the faith, to love God and to love people? That's the question we're going to be wrestling with. And so the word for today is empower. On the count of three, I want you guys to say empower with me. Three, two, one, empower. We often hear this word and we simply think of giving an opportunity or to hand over some authority, but I do think that it's a little bit more than that. And then this morning, we're going to be in God's word a lot. I'm not going to read the text because our students have done that for us, but I do encourage you to have an open Bible and an open heart this morning. The passage will be on the screen, the references, so let's have physical Bibles open. Um, if you don't have a physical Bible, there's one in front of you, and let's commit to that today. And while you're doing that, I want you to think about a time when someone empowered you. For me, I was a senior in high school. I just graduated, actually, and we were going to a CIY conference in Lee, in Tennessee, in, in Cleveland, Tennessee. 
And at this point, I was emerging as both a leader in my school and my youth group. Here's our youth group here. I'm one of the older guys in, in here. Um, you see some of these young kids around. And, and I remember being called dad of my cross-country team because I was the one who carried the responsibility, made sure the kids knew where they're going, all that, thing, all that stuff. And in my youth group specifically, when I told them that I wanted to pursue ministry, all the youth pastor jokes started coming from all over the place, um, left and right. And my, this is my youth group. And Blake is this kid in the pink shirt kneeling down. Blake was one of these kids who ended up looking up to me as a, a freshman going into his sophomore year. He's seeing this older guy uh, who, who's, who is um, choosing to go into ministry, all these things. But I remember this time we were walking from the, the evening session um, to, to the back to the dorms. And I remember being stopped dead in my tracks because Blake, being Blake, he was one of the jokesters of the group. He put his arm on my shoulder and he said, Ben, I have something to tell you. And I was like, what do you, what do you, what do you need to say? I was like, is this one of your jokes again? Um, you know, I thought he was going to play, play some tricks on me or do something. And he asked me if I could baptize him. And I said, are you serious or are you just kidding? And he said he was serious. He said that he had talked to my youth minister, Adam, about it and that we were going to make it happen. And so when we got back from CIY, we made it happen. We got into that old baptistry in my home church, and it was one of the best moments of my life. I got to baptize a friend that I grew up with, with my youth minister there in the water with me. Now, I tell this story not to highlight anything about me, but really to highlight my youth pastor, Adam, for empowering me. If you've ever been empowered to do something, you probably will never forget that feeling or that moment. Maybe it was the first time your dad showed you how to mow the lawn. Maybe it was the first time your coach gave you the playbook. Maybe it was the first time your teacher let you lead a part of the lesson or your boss gave you a job to do that seemed like it was way over your head. Whatever it is, you know that it was more than just giving you an opportunity, but it involved breathing confidence into you, coaching you along the way and allowing you to see results. Any good coach, teacher, parent, pastor, or boss empowers those they've been entrusted to, and it makes a difference. Now, I've been handcrafting this, this definition of empowerment because I do think it's a little bit more than just giving an opportunity, but it's creating space to build confidence and trust to form. Adam did more than just give me an opportunity to baptize someone. He built confidence in me to do it on my own, and this formed a strong trust between us. For a five-year span at my home church, I was involved in four baptisms, my own, Blake's, Michael, and my friend Nick. These things would not have happened if Adam did not empower me and create space for me to build confidence and, and to do these things on my own. And I'm sure I wouldn't be in ministry today if it weren't for him doing that. And so if this is true, how do we do it for our young people? How do we create space for them to build confidence and trust in Christ? Tyson talked about the wheel, and so I won't cover that, but I do believe that I have the secret sauce to empowering young people. And it doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from some book that we're reading, but it comes from the very voice of God. The first point is we empower young people to love God and love people when we model an everyday faith. 
Hudson read this text. It's a passage that is well known in in church history. Jesus is approached by this lawyer who is trying to justify the life he's been living. Jesus, he asked Jesus a question and he knows the answer to this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This is a man of the law. He knows what he must do to inherit eternal life, but he asked Jesus anyways. And Jesus responds with a question in Jesus' fashion. He says, what is written in the law? Jesus tell well, he, the lawyer quotes Deuteronomy 6, that passage that Baylor read for us, to love God and to love people, to do this with your every being. And Jesus says, yeah, go and do that. All right, the story continues. It, it seems like a simple encounter, a simple question. And this lawyer is probably thinking like, well, duh, I knew that, Jesus. And so because of that, not getting the response out of Jesus he wanted, he decides to ask a follow-up question. Well, then... Who do you say my neighbor is? And this is where we get to the story we know and love. And I'm going to have some students come up to help me with this uh, on stage. You guys can come up now. Make sure you grab those, those papers there. This is a passage we often see, and we've probably heard it often, if, especially if you grew up in the church. But I, I think it's important for us to enter into a text that we've seen often new and see it, see it for how it can be uh, in a new and fresh way. And so these students are going to help us. We have four main characters in our story. The first one is the traveler. And so if the traveler would step forward here, you can go ahead and step out there. Yep, perfect. So this is our traveler. And this, this man is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is about 18 miles. And so that's a pretty long hike. You know, if you're thinking in retrospect, it's from here to Vandalia. It's pretty far and it was in hill country. So there's a lot of bad people who would wait when it would get dark and they would go and they would rob people or steal, steal things. And this man, this traveler, the text says that he was beaten, he was bruised, he was left half dead. We don't know anything else except that is a fact. This man is beaten, he's battered, he's laying on the ground, he's in need of help. And then a priest comes along. Here's a priest. He's a man of God. This is someone who loves God and loves people that we've been talking about. He represents the law. He's someone who cares for people's needs and restores them. But the story says this man, the person who's supposed to stop and help this man, he sees him on the ground and he passes on the other side. The story continues. This man that was expected to stop does not. And then the Levite comes to the story. This is also a man of God, someone who was set apart for God's glory. And this man, the text says, does the same thing as the priest, sees the man, and he passes by on the other side. Man, this story is terrible up to this point, right? If you're listening to this for the first time, it's like, man, really, these two guys who are supposed to stop didn't stop. This man has no hope. Right? He has no hope. The holiest of holies didn't even stop to see this man. But then the story takes a turn when this last man comes to the scene. And this is the Samaritan. The Samaritan man, on the other hand, the text says that he saw him and had compassion on him. This would have been the point in the story where the lawyer would have gasped. He would have said, what? A Samaritan? Those half-breeds, those unclean, holy, cursed people, don't you know who they are? These people were to be avoided at all costs by the Jews, even so much so that the Jews would go out of their way to not encounter these people. 
And this Samaritan cleanses this Jewish man's wounds. He bandages him up. He gave him food for his belly and a place over his head, not just for one night, but multiple nights. And he paid for all the expenses. Jesus asked him another question. It's different from the question that this lawyer asked him. But he says, which of these three proved to be a neighbor to this man? Notice the lawyer at the end, he doesn't even say the name of this man, the Samaritan man, because he's so embarrassed that this is who it is. But he responds, that guy, he showed, the guy who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus says, yeah, just go do that and you'll be saved. Thank you, guys. Now, I think this is often how our young people feel when we talk about what it requires of us to be a Christian. We often think of things like, Man, to be a Christian, you have to show up to church. You have to um, be a good neighbor. You have to um, love those around you. All those things, right? Say you're sorry. Follow the rules. Do things like, we tell them to do things like read your Bible and pray and serve, which all are great things, but I wonder if we missed the point. What if I told you the secret sauce to empowering our young people to love God and love people wasn't in the hustle and bustle of doing, serving and giving, but it was actually in being completely in love with, being fully infatuated with, and totally captivated by the person of Jesus. So much so that our church attendance, our good deeds and service wasn't the extent of our faith, but only the beginning of real life in Christ. This parable, Jesus tells this man what is required of him to receive salvation. He tells this lawyer to love God and love people and do that and you'll be fine. But if we stop here, I think we would miss the point. Yes, Jesus is calling us to be good neighbors and we should model that for our young people. But more importantly, we should model what it looks like to love. This very passage gives us, this very next passage gives us insight into what this actually looks like. Charlie read it beautifully. This is a story of of Mary and Martha, two people who are close to Jesus. And I think it's interesting that this passage is right after the Good Samaritan passage. And it's the only recorded account of this in all four Gospels. And, And compelled by the Holy Spirit, Luke decides to write this right after the Good Samaritan passage. We have three people, Jesus Martha and Mary. Martha and Mary are siblings and Martha is the oldest. How many of you guys in this room are the oldest sibling? Raise your hand. We got a few of you. Yep, look around, see, see where the big dogs are at, right? I was not one of those people. I was the youngest, but my sister was the queen of telling my parents to tell me to do things right? If you guys know what I mean, this is what's happening in this story. I remember growing up and my sister would want to have friends over. And she would be cleaning and doing all these things. And she would look at my parents and she'd be like, aren't you going to make him help, right? I was like, they're not my friends. I, I don't know why you're telling me to clean, clean the room, right? All those things. But you guys understand the point. We have this encounter. There's a guest in their house. Jesus is coming to Mary and Martha's house. And Martha's being a good host. She's cleaning up. She's making food. She's setting the table. She's getting people drinks. She's going, 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 serving, 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 doing, doing, doing. Mary, on the other hand, is doing nothing. She's actually just sitting there. Martha isn't happy, and so she approaches Jesus with this classic sibling statement, don't you care? Make her help me. Jesus responds like Jesus usually does, different from what we would expect, and he says, Mary has chosen the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. Other translations say that she has chosen the good portion 
Wait a second. Didn't we just talk about being a good neighbor? To restore, to serve, to take care of those who are hurting. What do you want from us, Jesus? Do you want us to be a good Samaritan or do you just want us to sit there like Mary? Who is a good Samaritan in this passage, Mary or Martha? I mean, according to the parable, it's Martha. She's being a good neighbor. She's welcoming, hosting, cooking, serving, loving. Mary, on the other hand, is doing nothing but sitting, submitting, listening, looking, concentrating, being captivated by, consumed with, and immersed by the words of Jesus. See, we look back at this story and we realize that Jesus isn't just calling us to be a good neighbor, but even more so, he's calling us to choose him to be completely in love with, fully infatuated with, and totally captivated by the person of Jesus. And Mary got this right. She chose the good portion, the good portion that will not be taken away from her. To empower young people, we, must, we can't just model going to church, going to youth group, going to kids' church. To empower young people, we can't just model reading our Bible and praying and serving. To empower young people, we must be like Mary. We must model what it looks like to sit at the feet of Jesus, listening to every word, contemplating every thought, and resting in his perfect presence. It's when we do this when our young people begin to get it. They begin to make their faith their own. They begin to enjoy coming to church, serving, and being a good neighbor. The reality is the majority of people in the American church have a weakened faith. And this hurts my heart to say this, but some of you in this room have a weakened faith. And I'm not here to judge you, that's not my place, but I'm here to call you to be a part of something better. I totally understand that you might only attend weekly or monthly because that's what was modeled for you, but don't you want to be better? Don't you want your kids to be better than you, to make a bigger impact than you, to leave a bigger legacy? We have to first live lives truly changed by the gospel to foster this deeper level Christ commitment in our students. Are you willing to show them what it looks like to be completely in love with Jesus? So much so it's all you talk about. It's, it's all you post on social media. It's, it's all you wear. It's all you put on the, on the doorposts of your house and in your house. Friends, the reality is young people are walking away from the church, not because church is boring, not because it isn't cool, trendy, or fun. It's because we aren't modeling what life with Jesus actually looks like, the joy it brings and the life it gives. Instead of this, we're showing them, hey, this is just what you do. You come to church, the other six days of the week, you work real hard, you go to church, you get baptized, and then go to church the rest of your life. I'm sorry, friends, but that's not attractive, especially to our young people who have all these other options. Jesus came not to steal, kill, and destroy our lives, relationships, and hobbies. Rather, he came so that we may have life and life to the full. Guys, we have the answer to their questions. And the more we tell them what is true of them and actually model it for ourselves, that is how we grow young. That is how we foster a deeper level Christ commitment in our students, but it starts with us. We empower young people to love God and love people when we model an everyday faith. And so if this is true, let's be honest with ourselves. I had to ask myself these questions this week as well, but let's be honest with ourselves right here in this moment are you living a weekend faith or an everyday faith? And that's hard to wrestle with. In this passage, we see that Jesus tells us what is required to follow him. So you have to be willing to be inconvenienced. 
You have to be willing to be physically taxed, financially generous, socially rejected at times for the sake of the gospel. Are you willing to do that and model that for our young people? We don't want to raise lawyers. We want to raise lovers. Our students can only go as far as we are willing to go ourselves. Are you doing or are you being? Are you willing to attend but not willing to extend? Are you willing to speak but not willing to listen? Are you willing to do but not willing to be? And the last thing we're going to talk about is, are you handing over the keys? We empower young people to love God and love people when we hand over the keys. We're not going to spend too much time on this point because we're modeling it for you today, but the Growing Young book defines keys as the capabilities, power, and access of leaders that carry the potential to empower young people. Handing the keys is more than just allowing people to serve, but it's actually creating a space and a spirit in a church family that goes beyond just your paid staff, but is in your volunteer base. Friends, Greenville First Christian Church has been handing over the keys for more than a century. And so I want to praise God for you guys in this moment. So let's lift up God's glory for that, for allowing us to be faithful to that. Thank you. And you, you see it in our staff. And I was thinking about this this week. And I'm 23 years old, and I'm in charge of like 100 students. Right? If you thought your job was scary, come talk to me, okay? Um, but really, though, that is empowerment. It's not only this idea of giving an opportunity, right? It's this idea of creating space for confidence to build and trust to grow. Thank you for handing me the keys, and I know Ben Allen feels this same way. Handing over the keys isn't just some cool, trendy idea from a book. It's biblical. And I don't have time to go through these today, but there is a, there's going to be these passages. I encourage you, if you're a mom, dad, grandparent, even if you're a kid, take a picture of these verses. Go through these this week. We see it all throughout the Old Testament and into the New. This idea of handing over the keys. And we see oftentimes that next generation is blessed even more so. So I encourage you to, to look at those this isn't just something they did, it was who they were. We must hand over the keys or entrust our young people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's when we entrust them with this life-giving truth that they're able to use their gifts to give God glory. And his kingdom grows. And so what keys do you have? Think about your work. Think about maybe you serve here at the church. What areas do you hold power over? And the next question is, who can you hand your keys to? Maybe that's the person you've been walking with, but oftentimes it's someone who you see from afar and you're like, man, they, they could do what I do. And so who, what power do you have? What keys do you have? And who are you going to hand those over to? I mean, I remember my first summer here, fresh out of Bible college. I was so excited to start youth ministry full time. And man, was I so green. <laughs> I remember taking our high school students to Cleveland. Here's a picture of this group, our first group. And we took about 36 students, which was so much from what I was used to. And I only knew about 15 of them. And so I had been seeing these students' names for months on months. And I get to um, you know, check in the morning of, and people are coming in. And I'm, I'm hoping and praying that we have the right kids on the bus 
because if we're leaving and going someplace, man, they're going to get lost, right? And so I have all these new students I'm taking um, to CIY, and this was the first time I was leading a trip this size. It was a big deal. We had a great week, and I remember the last night, we were all so tired from a long week, but after that, after the last session, we decided to go play basketball and volleyball at the courts that were between the dorms, and I remember this one conversation with a student that came out of nowhere, it really caught me off guard, and we were sitting in a group, and there was a sweet voice that said, hey, Ben, I, I've really enjoyed this week, and I really want to start reading my Bible on my own. Where, where do I start? And side note, for a youth pastor, this is like putting a ball on the tee and all I have to do is just hit it. And if I miss, I mess up, right? We got to talking and I was really encouraged because I didn't know this student well, but I understood that if this student continues to ask questions like this, to have this, this spirit, this, uh, this desire to want to know about the Lord and what, what he's speaking into her life, then she will go far. Fast forward to next year, last year at CIY, we had a full, I had a full year of youth ministry under my, under my belt, and I'm a pro at this point. That's a, that's a joke, you guys can laugh. But yes, this is the group we took, all those, all those students, um, and it was craziness. We got to this new location, there's construction everywhere, and if you really wanna have a bunch of fun with, with students who grew up in the digital age, just give them a physical map and tell them to find places, right? <laughs> They had no idea what to do. It was awesome. Um, and so we ended up having a great week. Um, and Thursday night came. This is the last night. It was a very powerful sermon. I remember we were sitting in the first two rows in the middle. And so it was very powerful. Students are praying. They're crying. They're loving on each other. It's awesome. And we do the same thing we did the year before. We went out and we were tossing the volleyball around. And I'm sitting with a couple students off to the side. And here comes the same student from last year and she's sharing some of the things that the Lord has been revealing to her and, and doing in her life, the gifts that he's given her and how she can use that for his glory. Man, this gave me goosebumps, tears in my eyes. She got it. She found the good portion. Her faith has been made her own. And we go and we, we finish out this week, we pack things up, we go home and Later that summer, I got the privilege and honor of handing over my keys to Addison Beerley. For those of you who don't know, Addison has been walking with her one for a while. For many years, she's loved on, listened to, and engaged in intentional conversations with her friend Braxton. These two came to me before CIY, mentioning that Braxton wanted to get baptized, and I was overjoyed. We ended up getting ice cream together and talking about it, and the more I heard Braxton's story, the more I realized that I wasn't the one who brought her to Christ. I wasn't the one who preached a good sermon or pursued a relationship or started a Jesus conversation. It was Addison. Man, I really could have jumped the gun here. I could have said, let's do it. Let's get you baptized. We'll get you in next weekend. Whatever it takes, let's do it. I'm the youth pastor, right? That's what I get paid to do. But no. I remember that old leaky baptistry in Louisville, Texas, where I was so nervous. My legs and arms were shaking. My hand was on the back of my friend Blake. I raised my hand to the sky and I said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Where I was not only empowered with an opportunity, but with space to build confidence and trust to form. Where I was entrusted with keys. Man, it was a no-brainer for me to empower Addison the same way. The crazy thing is, not only did Addison baptize her friend Braxton, but two months later she baptized her friend Ashton. 
Addison has baptized more people in this church than most of us in this room, and she's 16 years old. If that's not growing young, I don't know what is. And a wise preacher once said, maybe the most significant thing you do for the kingdom of God is not something you do, but it's someone you raise. Our God is a God of generations. And we have an obligation to raise up the next generation in the faith, to be spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers, spiritual brothers and sisters of those who are growing up, growing up amongst us. Empowerment is more than just giving an opportunity, but it's creating space for confidence to grow and trust to form. And the church grows when we empower young people to make their faith their own and we hand over the keys for them to lead. When the band can come on up, I'm almost done. See, in this parable, we often think Jesus is the traveler, the one who's beaten and broken and battered, the one where people who are supposed to stop didn't stop. But the more I've studied this text and passage the past couple of weeks and that I've read it alongside the Mary and Martha text, I realize who the traveler really is. It's you. It's me. We're walking along this road. We're robbed. We're beaten. We're broken. We're left dead because of our sin. And the law that we thought was there to save us, all these good deeds, serving in church, going to church, the law, it passed us by, leaving us stuck in our brokenness and our sin. But that's not the end of the story. See, there's one who wasn't expected to stop who did. There's one who was outcasted, rejected, but the text says he saw us and had compassion on us. He cleansed our wounds. He bandaged up our sores. He picked us off our feet. He gave us a place to stay, and he paid the debt we owed. Friends, we can't save ourselves. We can't go to enough church services or do enough good things or be the perfect neighbors, and that's okay because it's not what Jesus wants from us. All he wants from us is to be, is to rest in his presence, to be captivated by his love, because it's when we do that, when our young people will begin to see the power of God and they want a taste of it. And if you're here for the first time today and you feel like you are that traveler, stuck along the road, broken, and in need of a savior, please come talk to us during this invitation song. We'd love to share the gospel with you and what that means for you. Because the truth is that you are a new creation in Christ that the old is gone and the new has come. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you. Thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your son Jesus and the life he lived that we could not. God, we thank you for seeing us, having compassion on us, Lord, when we were stopped in our tracks, dead in our sin, broken and bruised, disregarded, thank you. Lord, may this church be a church that not only does things for the kingdom of God, but who is solely in love with our Savior, Jesus, that it's contagious to the young people around us. Lord, may you give us opportunities not only to rest in your presence and to show what it looks like to live a life fully committed to you, but to hand over keys to those who are ready for it, to give them opportunities to lead and to love you with all that we have. 
thank you for this church family and the faithful leaders up to this point, Lord, but we have a job to do. Lord, help us handle what's been entrusted to us with care and help us pass it on. Lord, we love you and we praise you and all God's people said, amen.